Good morning, church. Welcome to worship. I'm so glad that you've chosen to be here today, and I can't wait to see what God teaches us as we open His Word, His perfect Word. Just think about that and ask Him to speak. Uh, But first, uh, do me a favor. Would you join those who are welcoming us online, who are worshiping with us online this morning? You know, I love the fact that we have technology and we're also worshiping on two other campuses today. The reality is, though, the Bible says there's something special about coming together for the purpose of worship and encouragement in our walk. So if you're joining us online, I pray that you have that goal in mind of that time when you're physically able uh, to come back together and, and to worship with the body of Christ, because really this is not intended to be uh, anything that is in the place of what we're enjoying together here in this room. And we are having fun. What a sweet time of worship we've already had today. This is an exciting time in the life of our church. In fact, allow this to be a personal invitation for you to join me right here in this room on our central campus next Sunday evening. It's a time of vision. We're calling it a family update because as a family, as a church family, we're going to come together and talk about what we believe God is leading us to do as we launch into the future. Several months ago, God began to just implant in my heart this desire uh, to lead us into the next generation right here from a hub of ministry on our central campus. And so there's a team that has been working hard, and we're excited about some plans for renovation and growth, Uh, some things that are taking place on all of our campus, but primarily a work right here on our central campus, as well as the desire that we have to give more to missions over the next three years than we ever have. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, uh, hello, do you realize we're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic? Is this really the time uh, to start something like this? In fact, you may be saying, what are we doing this for? And here's the reality. We're doing this for a lot of reasons. We're doing this for the senior saints who have walked before us and paved the way for this moment. We're doing this for the next generation that's coming along behind us and expecting the church to be here for their children and their children's children. We're doing this for our city and the communities around each of our campus. We're doing this for the nations because Jesus told us to to live for the nations. We're doing this for the name of Jesus because we've learned that we want him to cause his name and his namesake to be great upon us. We're doing this for the kingdom of God. We're doing this for the church because we're just one local expression, but we want to make sure we're strong and contributing to the greater church around the world, and we're doing this for the glory of God. So I hope that you'll get in on what God is doing and and that you'll join us on what He is doing this for. In fact, today we're asking you to give us some information. Now, I'm not really asking that you do this right now, because if you do, you'll miss out on the the next few things I'm about to say. But here's what I want you to do. Maybe take this with you if you haven't already been working on it, or scan the QR code and, and do this from home. You can send it to us electronically. But this just allows us to get some information from you to to kind of know who you are. In our age, in a larger church, we don't even know who's gathered together in this room. And and we just want to know a little more about you. So would you be so kind and so faithful to do that? And that will help us help you get in on what God's doing because he's at work at Mission Hill. Would you give him praise for what he's doing today? We're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're asking God to teach us just as the disciples did when they came and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. So take your copy of God's Word, find something to write with, something to write on. We're going to dive right in. I'm going to begin with a question. Do you have any debt? (laughs) Now, how's that for making you feel bad right out of the gate? Um, Don't feel bad, though, because you're not alone. We are a nation of debtors. Uh, It's estimated we're about $14 trillion in consumer debt. Now, what that means is that most of us have maybe a mortgage, perhaps a car payment, maybe some credit card debt, or those terrible things known as student loans. And this group to my right let out a big, (sighs) 
And so as a result, right here in our country, most people live paycheck to paycheck. And psychologists tell us that debt is literally killing us. Debt creates anxiety that brings about depression, fear, shame, guilt, and embarrassment. But I've got some good news. We're not going to talk about that kind of debt today. We are going to talk about a debt that is far worse. And it's a debt that all of us have. It's a debt that's created or or caused by sin in our life. It creates our greatest need. It's a debt that reminds me of a song I learned as a high school student in FCA. The chorus of that song says, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. What was that debt? It was my sin. And what did He do when He paid that debt? He gave me forgiveness. So while in the negative, I might say I'm going to talk about something that we all have. It's called debt. But I'm primarily going to talk about something we can all receive. It's called forgiveness. And so before I say anything else, I want you to understand no matter who you are, listen to this, no matter what you've done, God's forgiveness is available to you. And when you truly understand that, it will change everything in your life. And, and we see how important that is even in this model prayer that we've been learning. Because when, when Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, he was teaching us about our daily need for the gospel of grace. And one of the reasons we gather together regularly in worship is to be reminded that this gospel Something a lot of you understand, the good news of Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. It's more than just that which gives us a ticket to heaven. It's something that we need daily. I must daily pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would wash over me. And this daily prayer of forgiveness is one way I do that. So before I dig into that, I want to pray with you. So here's what I want to invite you to do. Would you stand together with me once more? And if you'd be so willing, maybe just hold up your hands, maybe palms stretched out like this. And here's what we're going to ask, that God would give us those things we don't have that we need, that he would teach us those things we don't know that we need. And he would make us to be the men and women and boys and girls that we need to be in order to live for his glory. So, Father in heaven, that's our prayer. We need you. We don't need more church or or more religion. We certainly don't need more ritual. So, in this moment, just give us ears that would rightly hear from you. Give us eyes that would correctly see what you want us to see. And give us a heart and mind that that is open, that's receptive, that's that's not hardened or or stubborn or stiff. And God, let that begin in me. (laughs) I think about my life, Lord, and I recognize, I I know far more than anyone here that I am a trophy of your grace. I, I would not be here even today were it not for your new morning mercy. But Lord, in this moment, I pray that you would continue to work within me, giving me the words to say and the thoughts to think for your glory. And Lord, I pray that today that change I experienced as a young child would be experienced by someone who hears these words. That there would be salvation. That there would be spiritual rejuvenation. That there will be relational reconciliation that takes place because we've met here. And so Lord, teach us to pray. Even as you taught your disciples when you prayed. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. To be seated, Jesus is preaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in this message, he comes to a place where he answers the questions of the disciples. And so in Matthew 6, he says, In this manner, or like this, pray, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But at the end of this prayer, Jesus, still in his sermon, feels the need to go back and communicate the truth that he had gone over. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses... Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This prayer is teaching us so much. It's a personal prayer. We pray to our Father. It's a prayer acknowledging the perspective of God. He's in heaven. He sees what we do not see. He knows what we do not know. For He's been where we have not been. And it's a prayer that asks for His response. Last week, as we looked at this phrase, give us this day our daily bread, we were reminded that God delights in our asking. Ask, he says, and it will be given to you. We began these petitions in this prayer with three different things that focus or revolve around God. The first thing is that we pray, God, would you cause your name to be sacred? And that's something I hope you're now doing on a regular basis. God, cause your name to be holy. Cause your name to be sacred in my life. And then we prayed, God, cause your kingdom to come. I recognize that this is not my kingdom or my thingdom. This is your kingdom. God, would you cause your kingdom to come in my life? And then, God, would you cause your will to be done in my life? Very quickly, we see in this model prayer of Jesus, if I pray according to the model prayer of Jesus, I quickly recognize it's not about me, it's all about Him. If you're doing this thing right, if you're living for Him, you begin to realize this is not about me. This is about you, Lord. But as I continue to pray, I see that God is concerned with my daily needs. And so I'm first taught to pray for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And then I'm taught to pray for pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now remember what I said is that main truth, the one thing I really want you to get today. When Jesus was teaching us this model prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, he was teaching us about our daily need for the gospel of grace. So let me say that again differently for those of you in the back, those of you that may not have understood that. Just as Jesus taught us to pray for our daily physical needs, he's teaching us that every day of our life there are spiritual needs that can only be received by him, by his grace, and as a result of his mercy. There are two simple principles, two truths I want you to get from this passage of Scripture. The first is this. All of God's children need daily forgiveness. All of God's children need daily forgiveness. So the first thing you need to do is say, who are God's children? And I want to remind you that this is not the kind of modern understanding that we're all God's children. And not if you believe Scripture. According to Scripture, you only become a child of God when you began a relationship with God. That's what it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be the children of God. 
When you receive that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, when you believe in who He is, you are adopted into God's family. You become a part of His child. So you have to ask this question, why do I need Him? Well, why do I need to be in the family of God? And that's what Jesus is addressing in this phrase. It's our sin. Sometimes it's called a trespass. Sometimes it's called a debt. That word sin literally means to miss the mark. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. You understand what trespass means. It it means to go somewhere you weren't supposed to go. And we all understand what debt is. It's something that we owe. And, and all of these are, are used to describe sin. Now, when I learned the model prayer, I was really taught the word trespass. But most of the translations that you read today, I, I think, get more at that Greek word when it uses the word debt. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To really understand that, you've got to get at what sin does. And at the core, sin separates. It separates us from God vertically, and it separates us from one another horizontally. Let me see if I can illustrate that, because it's easier to understand horizontally. Raise your hand if you've ever done something wrong to another person. Here's a hint. We should all be raising our hand, even if we're not charismatic right now, right? Because the reality is we've all hurt somebody else's feelings. We've done something we probably shouldn't have done. We've done something wrong. Well, what happens when that takes place? A barrier comes up. We stop looking at each other the same way. Our feelings get hurt. Those of you that are married really understand this, right? Sometimes you're like, what's going on? What's wrong? It may take a few minutes, but you get to the core. Something has caused a moment or a state of separation, right? Well, the Bible says it does the same thing with God. Sin creates a barrier between us and God. And here's the problem. The Bible says that all of us are guilty of sin. Every one of us. So this week I had some extracurricular activities. It seems that I didn't do as well as I was supposed to do on a particular test. And then I had a few other symptoms. And so as a result, my physician decided that I needed a heart catheterization. And that's where you kind of go in. And actually, they did that through this very tiny hole right here on my wrist. You go in, and in my case, he looked at the left and the right side of the heart. And this is what I was told before he went in. We're expecting, because of these other issues, that there are blockages. But here's the good news. We're going to put something in to clear up those blockages. It's called a stent. And so I went into the procedure, and it's quite amazing, our, our medical system. And there I was surrounded by all the healthcare workers, and uh, I'm awake, and I look over to my left, and I see this big screen, and I, I see my heart fluttering, and then I hear the doctor begin to say, wow, that's great. And then I hear him say, praise the Lord. And then I hear him say, joy comes in the morning. Dr. Smith, our cardiologist, is a person of deep faith. He's actually a theologian. And, and so I wasn't there for this, but after the procedure, he went and talked to Kimberly, and, and this is what he said. He says, Paul has a beautiful heart. And that was good news, right? Yeah, I thought it was good news. But here's the problem. When Kimberly shared that with me, I thought, if he only knew. Because here's what I know about my heart. It may not be blocked physically. But spiritually, I regularly struggle with blockage. In fact, I relate to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
King David couldn't understand it. You remember what happened to him? <laughs> he uh, committed adultery, and then he's like, oh, crud, I committed adultery. So he committed murder, and he's like, man, now I've blown it. And so then, I mean, it's just a multitude. That's what sin does, right? It's a slippery slope, and you sin to cover sin to cover sin. And, and yet, the Proverbs tell us um, what we cover, he will one day uncover. So one of his prophets came to him one day, Nathan, and he said, hey, king, suppose we have somebody in the kingdom who is very wealthy and he can have anything he wants, but he sees this peasant who has a lamb that he really likes. So instead of just taking from his flock, he goes and takes the lamb from the peasant, even though that was the only thing the peasant had. What, what should be done to that guy? And of course, David bowed up, and you, you know how the story goes, right? He's like, man, he, 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 throw, him, throw him away. I mean, just deal with him. He should be punished. And then Nathan, the prophet, looks at King David, and he points his finger, and he says, you are that man. And he began to understand at that moment that the heart is exceedingly wicked. And though you don't want to hear this today, I, w I would say to you, when it comes to this issue of sinfulness, the creator of the universe looks into your life. And while we want a good report, and, and we want because our mama told us that we have a beautiful heart, or maybe a cardiologist told us that we have a beautiful heart, we, we want everything to be great, but, but instead we open God's Word and we hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us saying, you are that man. You are that woman. See, when you truly get a glimpse of the holiness of God, you understand that His name is sacred. You begin to understand the sinfulness of man and you become desperate for God's forgiveness. And so I would ask you today, have you reached that place where you've understood that apart from the forgiveness of God, I don't know how I could go on. You see your debt for what it is. There are two words in the New Testament that we translate debt. One is a debt like most of us have. I mentioned this at the beginning, right? Most of us have probably a mortgage. A lot of us, even though Dave Ramsey frowns upon it, have a, a car loan. Some of us have credit card debt. And the assumption of all that debt is that it can be repaid. A bank is not going to give you a mortgage loan if they don't look at your debt-to-income ratio and think that you can pay it. But there's a second word for debt that's used in the New Testament besides that kind of debt. It's a word that describes something that could never be repaid. A, a debt that sinks you. Now financially, when we experience that, what do we do? Sometimes you have no choice, but you file bankruptcy. Because you've said, this debt could never be logically repaid. That's the word for debt that Jesus uses in this prayer. When he says, forgive us our debts, that which we could never repay, that which there's no way out of. And as we forgive our debtors. Sin creates that kind of debt in our life, no matter how hard we try, no matter how religious we become, no matter how many times we go to church, we're sunk. We're spiritually bankrupt. But the gospel of grace is good news. I want you to hear what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then He set them aside, nailing them to the cross. Praise the Lord for what Jesus has done. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And among the last words of Jesus, we translate it, it is finished. But he said in the Aramaic, to telestai, which means 
paid in full. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And how do I get that forgiveness? How do I get that forgiveness? Forgiveness that everyone needs. All I have to do is ask. He delights in our asking. In Romans 10 and verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There's that moment in our life where we agree with God. It's called confession. God, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you and I don't like it. I need forgiveness. And we begin to understand that that's why Jesus died on the cross. He was nailing our sin to the cross. He was canceling our debt on the cross. And he was giving us forgiveness on the cross. And then the Bible says... In 1 John, if, if we confess our sin, He's faithful even though He's just, forgiving us of our sin and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Understand this clearly. It's not because we earn or deserve it. It's not because we're worth it. It's not because we've worked our way and now we're forgiven. No, it's a gift from God. It's all about Jesus. I love how Paul describes this in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, in him. Who is him? We need a reminder, class. If I ask a question, it's generally going to be an easy question. And if you don't know the answer, you've got a good chance if you just say, so who is him? So in Him, it says in Ephesians 1, we have redemption. That's the payment through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace. So what did Jesus do on the cross? He made a payment canceling our debt all because of His grace, not because we deserved it. He clarifies that in the next chapter. In Ephesians 2, in verse 8, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord for the gospel of grace. Now, King David, King David finally understood this. And so, if you're reading in the Psalms, you'll come to Psalm 32, and it's a psalm all about confession and forgiveness. You'll come to Psalm 51. And it's a psalm all about confession and forgiveness. And you have that great verse like Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. That should be something we pray every morning when we wake up. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Renew that right spirit within me. But then you come to Psalm 103. And David, later in life, is just reflecting on all, all the goodness that comes from God. Listen to what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits. What? There are benefits to having a relationship with God besides just going to heaven? Yes! You understand what a benefit is? If you've ever had a job, you do, because you find out what you're going to get paid, and then you find out, well, now, what are the benefits? So he says, I I've got this relationship with God, and my soul is happy, and I'm praising Him because I'm just reflecting on the benefits. In Psalms 103, he goes through the benefits, but the first benefit that he lists is that he forgives my iniquity. He understood the greatest thing about having a relationship with God is forgiveness. If you read that whole chapter, you see at least three things about forgiveness. First of all, you see that when God forgives us, He removes our sin. Now, I know that because it says He separates our sin from us, 
as far as the east is from the west. Now remember, our sin is separating us from God, and it separates us from others. So he separates it from us as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Oh no. You don't know, because you can measure a distance between the northern and the southern poles, but you can't measure a distance between the east and the west. The Holy Spirit of God is telling us He removes our sin. We don't really understand that. And so we certainly don't understand the second thing that David says. It says He remembers them no more. Now that's not the same thing as forgetting. God can't forget. Why? He's God, and and what do we know about the character of God? So what's one of the things we know about God? He is all-knowing. And if he's forgotten something, we're saying there's something he doesn't know. So he doesn't forget. He chooses not to remember. Right? And we struggle with this. Here's what we think. When we go to God and ask forgiveness, we think that, okay, he says, hold on a second, Paul. And he goes over here and he pulls out the file cabinet drawer and he begins to thumb through the, oh, Paul, you, you've already asked forgiveness for this. Back in 2000, yeah, it looks like you asked seven times. Oh, and whoa, 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 Paul, in 2009, you asked forgiveness for this same thing 342 times. Paul, uh, you keep asking forgiveness for That's what we think God does. Yeah, that's not biblical. It says he chooses not to remember. He remembers them no more. But there's a third thing. It says he releases us. This is where it gets into our indebtedness. What happens when you pay off a mortgage? You get the deed to your home, right? You're released. And yet the Bible says, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins... When he paid the price, when he put that accounting word to Telestai, it is finished over you, he's saying you're released from this debt of sin. Now, that's worth the price of admission for some of you because some of you are caught up in what I would call presumptuous sins or habitual sins, that it's the same thing over and over again. And you've bought into this lie that you think there's no way out. And we, we generally do that for two reasons. One, we do it because we play the blame game, just like our great-grandma Eve did. You know, um, Adam made me do this, or, or the devil made me do this. Um, and then Adam did the same thing, right? Yeah, so that's why we've been doing it. So, um, or you're just full of self-pity. You know, considering the circumstances, I just can't do any better. And yet that's failing to recognize what Jesus does for us. That He releases us from that bondage. That He gives us help. That He gives us hope. Why do we need to do this daily? Remember the song that we sang? Come thou fount of every blessing. It has a phrase that says, Oh for grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. And then it goes on to say, Prone to wander. That's me and you. <laughs> we come to church and we have a great time. We're inspired. We're, we're ready to tackle hell with our water pistol. And then we go home and we blow it. I mean, we don't even get out of the parking lot half the time. Why? Because we've got this navigational system that is broke It is this nature of sin, and we're prone to wander. We want to go that way, but we're prone to wander. And daily, we've got to go before God. Someone put it this way, when Jesus nailed our sins to the cross, he removed the nails of sin from our life, but he didn't fill in the holes. See, God is holy, but we are holy, H-O-L-E-Y. We're messed up. We're sinners. We're not perfect. We need His help because we sin daily. And that sin causes all kind of consequences in our spiritual life. 
In fact, sin hinders our prayers. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And some of you, you pray and you think, I don't feel like God hears me. And it's because you've not gone to Him on a daily basis and asked for the forgiveness of your sins. Because that sin, remember, forms a barrier. It separates you from God. By the way, husbands, there's a verse in the Bible that speaks of this specifically related to us. And if you've never heard this, this may be frightening to you. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is a big deal. We need to confess daily. Forgive us this day our debts. Just as we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Let me give you a pro tip or what you might would call a best practice in this just to help you. I like to pray through my body in this area of confession. And as I pray over a specific area, maybe if there are not some things I'm confessing, agreeing with God about, then I'll ask Him, God, show me any areas in this part of my life where I've fallen short, where I'm in debt, where I've trespassed. So I start with the head because the Bible says take every thought captive, right? So God, are there sinful thoughts? What could those be? Well, it could be lustful thoughts. It could be, get ready for this, anxious thoughts. I'm worrying. That's a sinful thought. It could be thoughts of bitterness towards someone else. Then I go to the eyes. Have I looked at anything that's not pleasing to God? The ears, have I heard anything not pleasing? Here's a big one, the mouth. Man, I was reading in the Proverbs this morning, and you know it said it's better to not say anything than open your mouth and sin. I mean, that's a hard verse to read as a pastor on a Sunday morning. And yet there's so many ways we sin with our mouth. And I just keep going down the body, my hands and... You know, when I go through the body, I think of sexual sin. And, and God, have my feet taken me anywhere? Have I put anything into my body that's not pleasing to you? All of these things helping me to keep what I like to call a short list of accounts with God. So that my prayers would not be hindered. So that I get His best for my life. By the way, it says forgive us was just a, a reminder that everything in this model prayer is both personal and corporate. So you're not in this alone. You're, you're part of a greater body. And sometime the body has blown it. Throughout history, particularly here in this culture, in the U.S., the church has often blown it. We've not always quickly been on the right side of right. And we have to confess that, Right? Maybe you've been a part of a church split or, or a, a, a just something nasty in church life. And, you know, maybe you've, you've never confessed, God, I, I hate that I was a part of that. I need your forgiveness. All right. All of God's children need daily forgiveness, but there's more to this prayer. All of God's children must be daily forgivers. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's what Jesus comes back to at the end of this prayer. It's almost like Jesus teaches to pray. Okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He goes through the whole prayer and then he says, uh, time out. I don't think you guys got that. So in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a big deal, right? And so all throughout the New Testament, you see this idea of conditional forgiveness. We are forgiven as we forgive. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What's it saying? Do we earn forgiveness by forgiving others? No. It doesn't say forgive us our debts because we forgive our debtors. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive. It's implying that if we've truly received and understood God's forgiveness, it's going to be evident in the way that we forgive others. 
And I see this over and over and again as a pastor. Usually it, it sounds like this. Someone will say, well, pastor, I, I can't forgive them. They've not earned it. I don't think they mean it. They don't deserve it. And what that tells me is that person truly doesn't understand their forgiveness of God. Because that person is assuming the only way they get God's forgiveness is if they earn it. If they deserve it. If they really mean it. But that's not the way God works. And yet that cripples us. I can think back of a setting in my life where I felt like I needed to ask forgiveness. And I really prayed through it and I went and I humbly asked forgiveness. <laughs> the person looked at me and said, sorry, I don't think you really mean it. And it crushed me because I felt like I was, I was bound to something I was trying to be unchained from. This is so important. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 18. Do you remember this? Peter comes to him and he says, Jesus, uh, how many times do we need to forgive exactly? Seven? That's a good number, a holy number. Seven times, Jesus? And, and don't think he was being spiritual. I don't think he was. I think he was, this was Peter in the flesh. Because he's thinking, okay, seven times I'll do it. But on that eight time, I'm going to beat his, I mean, he's, he's ready to fight. And Jesus says, no, 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 <laughs> Peter, no, think about 70 and a multitude of seven. And in other words, you can't count this high, Peter. Just like I've had to forgive you and forgive you and forgive you. And, and by the way, I'm going to have to forgive you about something you're going to do that you don't even know yet. And it's a biggie. That's how I want you to forgive. And just in case Peter didn't understand it, he said, let me see if I can illustrate it. This guy is in the kingdom and he owes the king like millions of dollars. <laughs> and yet he's a regular guy. And so he's in prison because that's what you did. You were thrown into debtor's prison. And eventually, if, if you could not pay, you were sold off into slavery. And he said, so the king looked at him and he said, um, yeah, he can't pay millions of dollars. And, and so he was going to sell him, he was going to sell his, his wife, he was going to sell his children. And the guy hears about this, and so he goes begging to the king and says, Oh, please don't do this. I can't imagine living without my wife. I can't imagine living without my children. Oh, please give me another chance. And, and the king shows mercy. He shows grace. He cancels the debt. He forgives it. And yet Jesus says, imagine that that same guy now goes home, and he finds out one of his friends owes him a few dollars but he can't pay it. But because of that debt, this guy walks to the debtor's prison with his friend and reports him and asks that he be thrown in. Jesus said, what would happen? Well, all of the guy's friends, the guy that was forgiven, they would be outraged. And they would go tell the king. And you know what the king would do? He would go grab him by his sorry neck and he would drag him back into prison and he would put him under the prison because he would say, the way you've been forgiven is not the way you're acting. I showed you mercy and now you've not reciprocated. Now, why would Jesus tell us that story? He wants us to understand that if we could for, be forgiven for this sin in our life that separates us from the creator of the universe, then there's nothing that could touch us. No harm could be done to us that we're not able to forgive by God's grace. I, I want you to think about something because some of you are struggling right now because you've been really hurt. You were abused perhaps, or and there's a whole list of things that could have been done to you, and I'm so sorry. And you're thinking, why? Why do I have to forgive? Here's the answer. According to Scripture, no one could ever sin against you as much as you've sinned against Jesus. 
I caused one old Methodist preacher to put it this way. I made up my mind I would never fall out with anybody until he treated me worse than I treated Jesus. Hey, how would our world change if Christ followers just started to live by that? We don't get it, church. And I've been around this thing my whole life. And I've watched church people who profess Christ pass other church people in the hall without talking. Good night. Let me make it personal. I've walked down the aisle at Publix and seen former church members who turned the other direction. How, How do we do that? How are we missing it so greatly? No, God calls us to forgive, and we forgive because of gratitude. We look at what He's done, and we say, God, out of an attitude of gratitude and recognition for what you've done for me, I must forgive. We forgive out of obedience because we know He commanded it. And then we forgive out of wisdom because it makes a difference in our lives. You know what it does? Remember the benefits? We gain emancipation. When you forgive, you're freed up. You're able to kind of wash your hands. You may have some work to be done. You may need to meet with a pastor or a counselor and work through some of the issues, but you're freed up. You're not chained to unforgiveness, emancipation, but not just that. When you forgive, you have the possibility of reconciliation. You you can make things right with someone that's not been right, and, and you've got a relationship. That's what Jesus was talking about earlier in Matthew 18 when he said, if you've got something against a brother, don't come to church. First, go to them and try to make it right. Because when you come to church without that being right, everything's going to be screwed up. It gives you reconciliation, but then it gives you rejuvenation. Because you are now flowing rightly in your heart. See, unforgiveness is a cancer that eats away at our soul. It spreads quickly and it destroys completely. As I've often said, it's the poison we drink while we sit and wait for someone else to die. It's an issue that's destroyed marriages. It's split churches. It's created addictions. And we must address it. Yes, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. An old Baptist missionary, her name was Bertha Smith. I had a chance to meet her many years ago. She's since gone to heaven. She was a missionary in China. She was known as a prayer warrior. She was part of what is known as the Shantung Revival. A revival that started in 1927 and so erupted in China that eventually by the latter part of our last century, the fastest growing church in the world was a church in China. Communist China. And she was being talked to about what caused that revival to take place. And she said, I remember that moment clearly. We had been praying for revival. We had been ministering in that country. And yet we were divided among ourselves. Among the missionaries we were fighting. And we had a prayer meeting where we confessed that to one another. We repented of our wrongs to one another. And we determined that we would be right before God. And it was as if in that moment, God unleashed revival on a nation. What is unforgiveness keeping you from in your life? And God forbid, but what is unforgiveness keeping the kingdom of God from advancing in your little corner of the world? Almost 30 years in ministry. And if I were to boil down the two greatest problems in church that affect our psyche, it wouldn't be adultery, though I've seen a lot of that. It wouldn't be alcohol or drug abuse, though I've seen that. All the other biggies you could think of. No, it would be guilt and bitterness. People that are crippled by guilt because of what they've done are people that are crippled with bitterness because of what's been done to them. And both of these are forgiveness issues. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts 
as we forgive our debtors. You see, when Jesus taught us to pray that, he was teaching us about our daily need for the gospel of grace. If I don't understand forgiveness, as we've talked about it today, then no matter how many church services I've been to, no matter matter how many aisles I've walked down, no matter how many times I've raised my hand, I've never truly understood the gospel of grace. Because at the heart of the death of Jesus is this need for our forgiveness. This week we celebrated the 20th anniversary of one of the most famous modern hymns. It's called In Christ Alone, written by a man named Keith Getty. It begins with that phrase, In Christ Alone, my hope is found. Several years ago, the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, PCUSA, the more liberal of the Presbyterian churches, was dedicating a new hymnal, and they were wanting to add that hymn, In Christ Alone, into their hymnal. But they had a problem with one of the phrases in Getty's hymn. It's this phrase, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Now that's a deeply theological phrase. If, if you're describing a theological or doctrinal term that that's mentioning, it's the word propitiation, which means that when Jesus died on the cross, all of the anger, all of the wrath of God, the hatred that God has for sin and the devil and all the things of hell, all of that was poured on Jesus. Till on the cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. He incurred God's wrath so that he could then in turn cancel our debt. But the, the church wanted to change that because we don't like to talk about sin. <laughs> I, I hear in our church was preaching at an event and some people complained because I said that we're all sinners. And we don't like that in our society. So they wanted to change it to this. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. And that sounds good, because that's true. And it's a lot better to talk about love, right, than sin. And yet to do that would have missed the heart of the gospel. And so Keith Getty said no, and it's not in that hymnal. Because he knew that when Jesus died on the cross, he did that to pay the penalty of our sin so that he could cancel our debt so that he could offer us forgiveness. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That's why I would say we're never more like God than when we forgive. I want you to think about this before I ask you two questions. Can you imagine what it would have been like that day for Barabbas? sitting in his jail cell, hearing the footsteps coming his way, assuming that he would die just like his friends on a cross because of his crimes. But that day instead, as the jailer unlocks the door, he opens it and says, Barabbas, you're free to go. A man named Jesus has died in your place. That's the same message God has for you. Not because of what you've done. Not because of who you are. Not because of religion or ritual. But because of Jesus You've been forgiven. So go be a forgiver. So two questions for all of us. First question is this, who do you need to forgive? Because in a crowd this size, I'm confident some of us need to do some forgiving. 
What have you been holding on to? It's, it's like your little pet project. <laughs> You've just not let it go. Bless God, I'm not, forg- not going to forgive them. It'll be a cold day and before I forgive. Now, who do you need to forgive as you've been forgiven? And some of you, I, I, I don't know if this is the case or not. Some of you may need to get out of your seat and go to someone to do this. Some of you may need to leave as soon as we dismiss and, and go get on your phone or go to someone's house. Because you're not only hindering your relationship with God, you may be hindering the advancement of the gospel because of unforgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? Number two, what do you need to be forgiven of? What have you just given up on taking to the Lord? Because somehow in your mind, you've just accepted that He's just going to the file cabinet and He's just going to say, not again, Purvis. What do you need to be forgiven of? Now, for some of you who are hearing these words, there's only one thing you need to be forgiven of. You know what that is? Sin. (laughs) Because you've never begun a relationship with God. Because you've never truly understood this concept of forgiveness. Because you've been working and working and working, trying to earn or deserve it. And today it's clicked. And you just need to be forgiven of your sin because you need to be saved. Let's ask God to save you right now. Let's pray together. In the name of Jesus. Today, if I was a hearer, if I were not the preacher, I think I would be prone to act. We always want to say, okay, God, how do I respond? I, I would be prone to act to this teaching from God's Word by physically responding. And and because I know that I'm a follower of Christ, I I think I would be drawn to my knees in humility. So I just want to invite you. Some of you may even just take that posture of prayer there at your seat and just begin to seek the face of God in this area of, is there anybody I need to forgive or is there any forgiveness I need to request? In fact, for me, probably what I would have done, just to be honest, I probably would come down to the front because that's the way I was raised. I would, even though we don't have steps and an altar here, I would, I would make the front kind of my altar and I would just kneel and I would hold my hands out as we did at the outset and say, God, oh God, help me get this right. There have been other times in my life where I needed to talk to someone. So even now, pastors are standing at the front of this room and, and we don't confess our sin to a pastor or another person because they grant forgiveness. No, we do that because the Bible says it's freeing. The book of James says when we confess our sins to one another, it it frees us up. It, it, It shines the light on it. And so these are confidential men of God, and we can even connect you with a confidential woman of God if if there's a lady that would rather talk to a lady. And maybe you just need to come, even as I'm talking or as we begin to sing, and just say, I I just need to get this out for for the glory of God. And I, I just need to, I need His forgiveness. But if you need to begin that relationship with God through Jesus, I want to ask you right now just to ask Him. He's already forgiven you. Remember, He's already done it once for all. But you've got to ask Him. So maybe you'd pray this prayer. Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. I now understand that's the whole reason you died. You dealt with my sin death. My my sin debt. You've canceled that. Thank you, Jesus. I, I, I believe in you. And I receive that forgiveness. So here I am. I'm I'm turning away from my life of sin. And I'm turning to you right here, right now. Save me, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Our heads are bowed. I'm going to close this time of prayer in just a moment. But, you know, when we begin that relationship with God, the first thing we need to do is tell somebody, just like our sin is loosed when we confess that, 
when we confess Jesus as Lord, man, shining a light on that gives us freedom. It's not some secret we keep. So the first step I'm going to ask you to do, if you just prayed that prayer with me or you prayed a prayer like that in your words, wherever you're seated right now, just boldly right now, just lift up your hand and say, yeah, Paul, I prayed that prayer. That's awesome. Anybody else that would say that? If you did that, welcome to God's family. It's the most important thing that you could ever do. And so again, our our pastors are here and they would love to talk to you if you just prayed that prayer, if you began that relationship with him. I just want to invite you to use this as a time just to come to come before the Lord and just rest and let your soul be refreshed in who he is and what he's done. So Father, that's our prayer in the name of Jesus. We've met with you here. Thank you for what you've done for us. We love you, Lord, as we come before you now, even in the name of Jesus.